Unshackled of Pacific Garden Mission presents History's Greatest Sermons, where we share the personal history of godly men who brought forth the truth of the gospel in powerful sermons to a world long ago. Can you imagine sitting at the feet of one of history's greatest preachers and hearing their greatest sermons? Picture yourself on an old wooden pew in Charles Spurgeon's London Church or perched in a tree in the fields of a George Whitfield revival, or striding down the sawdust trail at a Billy Sunday prayer meeting. Whatever the scene, hearing these great sermons from the past will be as fitting to today's Christians as the day they were first preached. And now, here are your hosts, Tim Lundeen and Kelly Robbins. Hello, Kelly. Welcome back. Tim, welcome to you. Um, I think it's easy to forget that as a downloadable podcast or what, what would you call it, a program that you can mm-hmm. listen to on our Unshackled app, mm-hmm. that uh, this could be listened to any time, yeah. any time of the year, any time of the day. Yep. I listen in the car. Oh, you listen in the car. That's great. Mm-hmm. Some people might. I, I'd be curious to know if anyone listens to History's Greatest Sermons while working out at the gym. <laughs> I don't quite know. Maybe. I don't know if you can stand, run on a treadmill while listening to this. I listen to my pastor's podcast while I'm working out ah. because it is clear time where I don't get interrupted. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. When I'm at the gym, I don't know. I need a little bit more <laughs> energy. A little, a little help me along. <laughs> uh, what's cool is we've got some listener comment. Someone has actually responded to our calls for feedback and has said this is from uh, Betsy in New Mexico. Okay. She says, I love listening to all of the Unshackled podcasts. They minister to my heart and draw me closer to my Lord. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Well, you're welcome. I am especially enjoying History's Greatest Sermons. It's wonderful that we can hear messages from the past that minister to us spiritually. The hosts do such a great job. That's you, Yay, Kelly. Betsy. <laughs> <laughs> I love looking forward to many more. May God bless you all. Thank you, Betsy. We really yeah, appreciate your that's feedback. That's great. Um, today's sermon is uh, we're going to hear from George Truitt. Had you, did you know much about George Truitt before this assignment? Not so much him as his ministry. I know about the church. Yeah, there's a, there's a, a theological school mm-hmm. named after him. I think there's a couple things named after him. I know the uh, uh, founder of Chick-fil-A is actually named after him, which is interesting. Wow. Um, and I did a little bit of research. It is one of those names where I'm like, ah, I think I know the name, but I really don't know much about him. Uh, he was born in 1867 in Hayesville, North Carolina. Okay. And then the family moved to Texas. And it was like, well, was there nothing else? I'm sure mm. that there's biographies written about him and, and far more information. But like you said- mm. There's something about the legacy of w- of what he was a part of that has outlived his story. It yes. wasn't, you know, uh, some of the other uh, ministers we've we've heard from the past have these incredible stories that are very different, mm-hmm. and you know it's it's always fun to hear these different backgrounds. Yes. Um, in uh, 1893, he served for a few years at an East Waco Baptist Church, but then he transferred to what he's most known for, First Baptist of Dallas, and he served there for nearly five decades. I noticed that in that service, he didn't retire as we might know retirement. Right. He was promoted. Right. Promoted (laughs) to glory. Yes. (laughs) Right. Straight from the pulpit, more or less. It didn't look like there was any lapse of ministry. He Mm. preached until his last breath. Yeah. Yeah. And for, I mean, five decades. Mm Mm-hmm. Un, it's 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 glorious to hear that because I don't know. Every once in a while, I hear of pastors that come and go, mm-hmm. or pastors that are in one spot and they're serving their community so tightly that even it, when they retire, 
they still They're attend still the church, which yes. is just an amazing testimony to how, how the grace that can be in a church uh, yes. community. That is a, a, a God-sent grace yeah. to be able to do that. The other thing is that he wasn't necessarily somebody who parsed the scriptures. It wasn't expository preaching. Mm -hmm. He would have just a few notes. He would have scribbled them on this or that or whatever. Yeah. And he preached from the heart. And I think that's what happens when God severely wounds someone. I've noticed that the Lord often, when he has somebody planted in a place, he wants to keep them for a while, whether mm -hmm. that is a physical place or just a place in life, he wounds them greatly. And you could call it Paul's thorn in the flesh. There's okay. something that has wounded and damaged. And it's all in what we do with that that allows the Lord to make more of that person or that position, that ministry. And it has a veracity. It has a truth about it that isn't easily come by. There's sort of a mantle of suffering about a person. Mm. And when they have that mantle, I'm not saying that they're downcast. Right. I'm saying that they've come to know things. And it sounds like Truett might be one of those. He wasn't really known for expository preaching, but he would make two or three notes on the back of an envelope or on a slip of paper, and he would preach from that. Yeah. And that kind of preaching comes from a knowing things about God. And knowing those things generally comes from having suffered and come to that knowledge. It's not head knowledge. It's head plus heart. Do you think there's parallels drawn with that idea to what uh, Joseph went through by yes. being betrayed by his brothers and yes. thrown into slavery and then being a ruler in yeah. many ways? Yes. And when he saw his brothers, he didn't jump on them and say, you bad people. Right. He very quietly tested their character to see if they had changed. And then he revealed the provision that the Lord had put him in a position to give. Correct. Correct. Right. Also, um, David. Uh, yes. We pictured King David as this guy who's always been joyful and triumphant, but no. he had been through some very dark times with him and his merry band of men. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and also, I'm trying to think of another story. Yes, you said Paul's thorn in the flesh, but there are plenty of biblical examples of someone going through a deep trouble mm -hmm. and how that helps uh, develop and define their character. Yes. And going through the path and persevering. It does definitely strengthen our, our spirit and strengthen our soul and prepare us yes. for the work that God has for us. The worship becomes refiner's fire worship, mm. where you drop what's in your hands and you allow those fires to burn away what they will. Now, we're talking about this as uh, the trouble that uh, George Truitt has gone through because there is something from his past that is important. Mm -hmm. That's key as it relates to the sermon that we're about to hear, yeah. uh, but I'm going to save it. Okay. We'll talk about it a little bit later. Okay. Uh, we're going to hear from his sermon, and the sermon is called The Cure for a Troubled Heart. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. John chapter 14, verse 1. If you were asked this morning to name the most comforting passage in the Bible, what would you say? It would be interesting to know what your answer would be. Many in this presence perhaps would name the 23rd Psalm, the Great Shepherd Psalm, as the most comforting passage in the Bible. Others would mention that oft-quoted verse in the 8th chapter of Romans. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God to them who are called according to his purpose. 
But probably more of you would select the 14th chapter of John as the most comforting passage to be found in all the Bible. Every one of us ought to know that chapter by heart, even as we ought to know many other scriptures by heart, because someday we may be blind and unable to read at all. And then if we had hidden away in our hearts many scriptures, we could read them even though our sight should be gone. Listen to the opening sentences of this heavenly chapter. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go, ye know, and the way ye know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Memorize that 14th chapter of John's Gospel, all of it. You will need it. Probably our deepest troubles in this world are occasioned by separation from our loved ones. Jesus had just said to that little group of men about him, I am going away. Presently we are to be separated. I am going to die. And the announcement stupefied them, dazed them, horrified them. Isn't there some mistake? He has just said he is going away, and more. He has just said that he must die. Isn't there some mistake? They are stupefied. They are horrified. The separations from our loved ones wring our hearts to the deepest depths. Just a few days ago, I was called to say some words at the grave of a dear faithful mother, and the grief of her children was so terrible that it seems to me I can never forget it. The oldest daughter did her best to quiet and comfort the several younger children with no success, and presently she tried a new turn on them. She went up and down the line of children, all bewildered and heartbroken, and said, Stop your crying, children. Maybe it is all a dream. Maybe we are all at home. Maybe we are in our beds asleep and will wake up in the morning and find that it is just a bad dream and mother will be with us. And for a moment, she thus quieted them. Oh, the deep wrenchings of heart when our loved ones go away. Jesus had just spoken some words that pierced like arrows the hearts of the twelve men when he told them, I am going away. Then he proceeded to comfort them, to point them to the way of light and life. And then it was, he spoke this 14th chapter of John. Its opening sentence is the text for this morning. Let not your heart be troubled. Jesus proceeded in these words to point the cure for a troubled heart. How may a troubled heart be cured? That is an old question. It is as old as the human heart. How may a troubled heart be cured? It is the question of all humanity, of all the ages, of all conditions and classes. How may a troubled heart be cured? All along there have been given various answers to that question. 
There is the answer of despair. When trouble came upon Job, wave upon wave, and all was swept from him, first his property, and later his children, and later his health, and later his friends. Finally, his wife said to the husband, Curse God and die. That is the answer of despair. And the answer of despair is not a cure for a broken, troubled heart. The poor suicide takes that course, the course of despair. Different causes make for the despair of the human spirit. Sometimes it is business reverses, and a man's spirit is broken, and down he goes, and he cannot recover himself anymore, and despair grips at the throat of his soul. Sometimes despair is occasioned by a shattered confidence. Oh, how terrible a thing it is to have our confidence in somebody fundamentally shattered. Sometimes one's despair comes because of ill health. What weakness men's poor spirits feel when their bodies are in the grip of disease. What allowances we ought to make for those who are sick. What pity and patience and forbearance we ought to exercise towards people racked with pain. Just here is an exhortation every one of us should earnestly heed. But full many a time, the answer of despair follows the course of sin. I was in a southern city a little while ago, speaking for a half dozen days, and my host drove me by two beautiful residences, two of the fairest in the city, and told me that in one home had been a mother, and in the other had been a father. And these two, because of sin which had made itself known and was making itself known throughout the city, to the shame of both homes, had entered into a death pact that they would each at a certain hour take the suicide's course, and they carried out such death pact. Oh, how terrible is the course of despair for a human heart when such heart has grievously sinned. There is another answer proposed as the cure for a troubled heart, and that is the answer of Stoicism. And what is the doctrine of the Stoic? The doctrine of the Stoic is to steel your heart against all feeling. The doctrine of the Stoic is to put your tears all away and refuse to cry. The doctrine of the Stoic is to deaden your feelings and make your heart like a rock. The doctrine of the Stoic is to be sublimely indifferent, no matter what comes, with rigid face, like a stone. Go on, steeled against it, indifferent to it, with your heart shutting it all out. That is the doctrine of the Stoic. But that doctrine won't cure a broken heart. If you have read carefully the stories of Darwin and Huxley, those world-famed scientists, you will find the confession in the latter end of the life of both those notable men of sorrow that they had so steadfastly steeled their hearts against that which was tender, against that which was gentle, against that which warms the heart, against that which provokes tears, against that which kindles the flames on the altars of emotion and sentiment and the finer feelings. Both of them bewailed the fact that they had pursued that course. The doctrine of the Stoic is not the doctrine to cure a troubled heart. Sooner or later the heart will find it out. 
sometimes in the gathering shadows of old age. Then again, Epicureanism is proposed as the cure for a troubled heart. And the doctrine of Epicureanism is, forget all your trouble, plunge into the realm of pleasure, sound all the depths of pleasure, go the whole gamut of pleasure, forget, forget all your troubles, leap out into the deepest depths of pleasure and there revel and swim in those depths and put out of your sight and out of your mind all thought of sorrow. Drown it all in the realm of pleasure. But that will not cure a broken heart. When I was preaching a while ago in another community one day, there came to me the service of a young widow robed in black. And the minister whispered to me, That is an unusually sorrowful case. Her husband was assassinated here a few months ago, all unexpectedly and wickedly, and she carries a broken heart. She is a woman of culture and of a noble family, and much appreciation is cherished for her here in this city. But she gropes in the darkness with her broken heart. And then he went on to tell me that her friends took her when the awful tragedy fell and smote her heart into the dust and carried her away to Florida in that midwinter time. And they said to her, We will take you down there to one of the beautiful hotels in the midst of the orange groves. We will take you where music shall be heard and where all that is gay and beautiful shall echo and re-echo in your ears. And you will forget all this sorrow in a little while. Come with us and you will forget it all. And the poor, bruised, broken-hearted woman went with them, but she came back months later with that same broken heart. You cannot cure the heart in any such fashion. There has been proposed still another answer as a cure for a troubled heart, and that is the answer of denial. There is a fundamentally false philosophy across the land which proposes to cure a broken heart by denying that there is any brokenness of heart that there is any trouble at all. Now, that busy, noisy, and fundamentally false philosophy simply denies the facts and proposes to get past the difficulty by denying the facts. It denies the fact of sorrow, the fact of suffering, the fact of sin, the fact of death. It denies them all. But you cannot cure a troubled heart by simply denying that there is any trouble. The facts are here, all about us, is the solemn fact of sin and the fact of suffering and the fact of tears and the fact that a Black Friday comes ever and anon and the fact of the long and lonely and sleepless nights and the fact of bewilderment and confusion and the fact that all unexpectedly we are again and again beaten down into the dust by the flail of disappointment. We cannot cure the trouble by denying the facts. Where can we get our trouble cured? Just one way, at just one place, from just one source. And it is stated for us here in the glorious 14th chapter of John. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. Jesus here states the cure for a troubled heart. 
Jesus is himself the physician for a troubled heart. Nor is there any other anchorage and reinforcement and healing and recovery and peace sufficient for any troubled heart if you reject Jesus and put his counsel and comfort far aside. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Put your case in my hands, says Jesus. Come with your sorrows and your vexation and your disappointment and your surprise and your reverses and your consuming grief and the pain of your spirit which never ceases. Come to me and I will cure your troubled heart and I will unfailingly reinforce you if you will come to me. Christ is humanity's cure for a troubled heart. Have you a troubled heart? Is there in your life one experience and another and another, every thought of which brings a stab to your heart or the deathly pallor to your cheeks? Have you a troubled heart? No matter what the occasion, there is one source to get it healed, and that source is Jesus. He is the one mediator between God and us. He is the day's man unto whom we may come and unto whom we may confide our all without any hesitation or reserve. Christ is the cure for a troubled heart. Now, my fellow men, why should you and I thus stake our all on Christ? If you ask me if I have... I answer you modestly, I have staked my all on Christ. Living and dying and in God's vast beyond forever, God help me, I can do no other. I have staked my all on Christ. Now, why? Why should we stake our all on Christ? He tells us, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Why should we come to the Father by Christ? Why should we accept Christ as our daysman, our umpire, our arbitrator, our mediator? Why should we take Christ as our physician, our leader, to be our friend supreme and stake our all upon him? That was George Truitt, portrayed by Gary Bruschetto. Now, in the opening, I kind of mentioned a few things about George Truitt's life, but there was something important I left out. Okay. Um, he was about 30 years old, mm-hmm. and he had just been moved to his um, the church that he pastored at, which he was at for, for almost five decades, okay? Yes. Almost 30 years old. And the story goes that he was hunting with some friends of his and his rifle accidentally discharged and wounded one of his friends. And the friend ended up dying. Oh. And it it destroyed uh, George Truett. It just destroyed him. Mm. He was depressed. He wasn't sleeping all week, uh, pacing the floor. He just thought like it was this, this is a horrible, horrible thing. And anyone would, anyone would feel yeah. that, you know. But sort of the end of all things that ever have been in my life. Right. Seminal it's, moment. It's just, it, it was, it was a huge impact. Yeah. 
So you can imagine when he's to, when he stands up to give a sermon on, are you do you have a troubled heart? He knows what that heart feels like, and that uh, I hope that gives some perspective on just this first part of this sermon. Yeah. I was thinking as this sermon unrolled, he took care to name the different ways that we deal with it. Yeah. And yet, when you have that moment, when you are just at the uttermost, and there's such a depth of grief and sorrow, despair, etc., where do we go? And there's a degree to which, should I be feeling this, that says I need to not be feeling this anymore, Mm. and hence all these different things that we do to try to get rid of the feeling. Very few are willing to stand there until it stops hurting. And in a way, that's what Truett did. He had to stand there and figure out if his faith was valid or not. Mm. And the rubber hit the road in a big way. Yeah. This, uh, this incident in his life happened early in the week. Yes. And he had to give a sermon that Sunday. And imagine him standing there, the, you know, the phrases come to mind, the, the, mm-hmm. the, the pale look. The bleary eyes, the dark circles, you know, like it was all there. It was him. It was all there. And you are standing there in that moment saying, this is either truth or it's not. And if it's not, I am lost. So he talked about um, sometimes we turn to despair as a solution for troubled heart. I'd never thought of it that way because usually I think despair is how I feel. Mm -hmm. And he was saying, no, for some people, despair is the solution. They are, they're not, they're not feeling despair. They're choosing, I am going to despair in this trouble. And I mean, the ultimate despair, as he mentioned, was self-harm and suicide. Yes. It's all over now. It's like, this is my decision. And yes. I, I guess I had never thought of it that way. I thought despair is like, well, I feel despair. And so I need to do something about it. And that, he's saying some people choose despair. Yeah. It, it, that's hugely insightful because yeah. it helps explain how come that decision yeah. plays out the way that it right. does. And then, of course, he talks about Stoicism and Epicureanism. Then there's denial. What do you think is the most popular method today to cure our troubled hearts? Oh, distraction. Distraction. Yeah. Would that be denial? A portion of denial and a portion of entertainment. Mm. And the entertainment wears thin because day after day after day, becomes no longer entertaining and that's how our brains work Mm. the serotonin release needs a bigger hit to to go yeah so in the end it's just let me not think about it so i'm going to fill my time my life my eyes my whole being with things that are other so i don't have to think about it he would have tied that into what he called epicureanism Mm -hmm. the not just the stealing oneself against trouble but just Plunging oneself into pleasure to pretend that the trouble isn't there, yes. which is kind of like denial, in my opinion. It, it um, can work the same way. Yeah. Even the description of the widow and the orange grove, you know, where you'll be surrounded by orange groves. I'm like, that would not be enough today, orange groves. Oh, yeah. But there is so much available to us that it's very easy to rabbit trail, just get lost and find yourself just dropping off into sleep. And mm-hmm. then you come back the next day. The... um. The one thought that came to my mind, because I was trying to reconcile his points of, and this wasn't that long ago, less than a hundred years ago, probably gave this sermon. So it's still what I would call contemporary enough, you know, Um, but related specifically to today, how we deal with trouble. um, It was this, the thought that came to my mind was the idea of, well, you're not allowed to feel trouble. It's like, 
by well, I'm not you can't I can't have a bad day. You're not allowed to say that because it hurts my feelings. And yes. so if we just all don't just don't say anything and then my feelings will never be hurt and I'll always feel good and I'll never have a troubled heart. And it's like, but life doesn't work that way. No, you can't constantly and permanently protect yourself from trouble. And when you try, it just gets worse when, when the smallest little tiniest thing insults you, it's like the world has come to an end. And it's that thinned skinness has become a way of, of avoiding trouble. It's like well, there is no cure today for a troubled heart because we're not allowed to feel one. Right. There <laughs> is know. no strength that is strong enough to hold those feelings. Right. And right. so we just don't. And you're not allowed to if I'm in the room sort of a thing. Right. Like right. 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 Yeah. But I, I thought that was fascinating to see how far that trail has gone down that road. Of course. Of course. Jesus Christ is the only true cure for the troubled heart. It's not just a Sunday school answer. It sounds no. like, okay. No. Uh, now, you'll hear more about the fact that Jesus Christ is the only true cure on the next episode because this is a two-part sermon. So please, tune in next time. Go online, download the uh, Unshackled app, which is getting some great updates uh, all the time. Mm-hmm. And if you have any questions or if you have any thoughts, even on today's sermon, feel free to email us at podcast at unshackled.com. We'll see you next time. This has been History's Greatest Sermons, an Unshackled production of Pacific Garden Mission, produced and directed by Timothy Gregory. To hear more Unshackled content, you can download our app, get it for free at any of the major app stores. For more information, visit unshackled.org. Join us next time as we experience another one of history's greatest sermons.